Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. So it's culture club time and I'm delighted to be joined in studio by the international best-selling author, Catherine Ryan. Howard, Catherine, thank you very much for coming in and for being our latest culture club inductee. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? We're very good here in Today FM. God, your sixth book is coming out. This fifth only came out last year. You're very productive. <laughs> well, I write a book Industrious. a year. Yeah. <laughs> Efficient, I like to think of myself as. Yeah, so, you know, the way publishing is at the moment, that's pretty much what they want you to do is to to crack on with a book every year. So it's my full-time job, to be honest. If I wasn't producing a book a year, I'm not sure what else I'd be doing. You know, they're, they're, you'd be worrying if I wasn't producing a book a year. You've burst onto the scene over the last six or seven years and it's not just here in Ireland where you've won awards and they've been bestsellers, but bestsellers internationally. Did you think that would happen when you picked up your first typewriter as a child aged eight years old, was it? Yeah, there's a famous picture of me on Christmas morning tapping away on the typewriter that Santa just brought while Barbie's magic van, which was the greatest toy ever, sits ignored on one side. Um, look, I this is what I dreamed of. You know, I wouldn't say I knew it was going to happen, but I absolutely knew that I was going to do everything possible to try and get there Um, and it took a bit longer than you know I would have hoped but I'm in a really great position now and I'm very very grateful for it it's my dream job so because you've had a, a varied career up until the last decade or so before you you went back to college in Trinity College to study English I did um, because I thought the writing thing wasn't going to happen and that I needed to do something other than refresh my Gmail every five <laughs> minutes. And then six weeks into my four year degree, I got an agent and six months in, I got a book deal. And because I had already dropped out of college. How when does I that was, happen? How does that happen so quickly? <laughs> I mean, it's not that it happened quickly. It's, you know, it's sort of 15 years to be an overnight success. Like what happened is... I had this book that I was in the middle of for about two years. And when I finally applied to Trinity and I had to move to Dublin and everything else, I knew now I wasn't going to have as much time as I had in the past. So I finally finished the book. Of course, that coincided then with college beginning. So if I hadn't gone to college, I wouldn't have finished the book. But as it turns out, I didn't need to go to college to to get a book deal in the end. But I stayed with it. Your books are international successes, winning international prizes and being shortlisted for international prizes. And they are, for anybody, you say yourself, you're not the next Sally Rooney, you're not the next Nisha Totem, but you're in, a very, you're in a very popular area, which is crime fiction. Yeah, I mean, Ireland is really punching above our weight with Irish female crime writers. And it's just the genre I love. And I think the best writing advice is write the book you want to read, but can't find on the shelf. So there was no other type of novel I was going to try and write. It had to be crime for me. <laughs> well, we'll get more into your books, books and book choices later on. But let's bring you back to your musical picks, back to when you were a child in Cork growing up. What was your first single you ever bought? Tell us about it. So I don't have a clear recollection of the very first one I bought. I do remember finding out that singles existed because I don't know if you know this, but you're talking to the 1991 Munster Disco Dancing Champion, (laughs) aged eight and under category. And I remember our teacher, we used to go to the class on Friday afternoons and she's saying to us one day, you know, girls, if you go into HMV and whatever they were, they could have been like 250 or something at the at the time, you can get a cassette and there's just two songs on it. And as soon as I, I knew that, days as yeah, well. and I was like, oh, God, I can buy the songs that we're dancing to. So that's how it started. But I do very clearly remember Babe by Take That because it was Mark 
God love him for trying on lead vocals. He was my favourite. Very big event for Mark fans. And I remember at the time that every afternoon around four o'clock MTV would play the five most requested music videos. This sounds like a hundred years ago, but if you wanted to see a music video, you had to sit in front of MTV and wait for it to come on. So I would dash home every day because Babe was number one on that chart for so long. And, you know, obviously Mark was on screen for a lot of the time. So that's the first one I really remember, like wearing out the cassette. Let's have a listen to Take That with Mark Owen singing Babe. It's his best attempt. (laughs) He made, you know, he tried his best. And sure, look, there probably wasn't all the post-production back then that pop stars enjoy now. But you had a connection to him. Well, one one member of my family had a connection to him. So I never met Mark, uh, alas. I went to a couple of concerts, but he was about three miles away from me um, on stage. But a few years ago, I get this panicked phone call from my mother. I thought like something terrible was after happening. I finally figured out that she was at the Everyman in Cork at a play and who was sitting at the bar only Mark Owen and she was like get in here now and you can talk and I was like okay I'm not you know nine anymore so I stayed where I was and she came home with like a page torn out of the playbill that said to Catherine, have a nice life, love Mark Owen. And nine-year-old Catherine would have spontaneously combusted, but (laughs) 40-year-old Catherine doesn't actually know where that piece of paper is now. That could be worth a lot of money, Mark Owen. Couple of euro. (laughs) From your childhood, you could have had it all back then. Now let's move on to your album because this is actually one of of my favourite albums as well. And it's Alanis Morissette. Tell us why this one you really went for. So nowadays, I don't really listen to albums all the way through. I think like our attention spans, you know, have have been completely shot. And I tend to just take songs I like and and make a playlist of them. So this album, I thought like, what's the album I have listened to the most times in my life? And it has to be Jagged Little Pill. It came out when I was 13. And I think prior to that, music had been something that you danced to or you, you know, put on for entertainment and, you know, that kind of thing. But this was like, oh my God, this woman 
is singing my thoughts, like what it feels like. Of course, we were very dramatic 13 year olds, you know, <laughs> so we thought like you ought to know we apply to us in our non-existent love lives. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually in shock because last night I went, I ended up watching this documentary about it, which was amazing, a music box, a HBO documentary. And I am in shock that I only found out yesterday she was 21 when this album came out, which means she must have been 19 or 20 when she was recording it. So here was I at home, like playing this over and over, thinking she was this, you know, oracle, this older wise sage. And she was probably seven, eight years older than me at the time. But it's just such a fantastic album and it really holds up. And one of my favourite songs on the album is actually a secret song that would you'd only hear if you left it playing. And I mean, how would you even do a secret song now? Because you'd see the timing on Spotify. You'd know there was something there. The internet would tell you. Back then, I was in my room and I just didn't get to the CD player on time. And next thing, her voice came out of the speakers. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a special album. And I think at one point, like one in 10 people had a copy of it. And, you know, it was the biggest selling album by a female that age at that time. I think she's been overtaken by Taylor Swift since but it's just an album full of female emotion and I think she said things that female artists before her maybe didn't say. Let's have a listen to Hand in My Pocket from the album and it is a classic. I'm broke but I'm happy I'm poor but I'm kind I'm short but I'm does hold up and those lyrics are just amazing yeah I mean still today it, it's, it feels so fresh it's incredible it's an incredible album I want to go home and listen to the whole thing again <laughs> we'll get you home soon enough for that now we normally ask people what their favourite band is and you haven't given us one no. are you embarrassed it's a, it's take that isn't it no it's, it's I wasted all my or used up all my band affection when I was young I, I just don't really have a band that I listen to a lot I mean my brother now will murder me because he's a massive U2 fan and we do go to every concert we can and I do if I have if I had to pick a band, I would I would say you too. But I just don't really when like when I think of what I want to listen to, it's frequently like a singer songwriter or you know a, a sort of solo musician rather than a band for some weird reason. Well, let's move on to your favorite artist because this is a solo musician. Now you're gonna you're gonna shock a few people when you say this because it's John Mayer. I'm rolling up my sleeves if I had them to get ready to rant against <laughs> the anti John Mayer brigade. So when you say John Mayer. Most people immediately think of the war crime that is your body as a wonderland. 
um, or daughters, which is not quite as bad, but is, is close. That was when he was in his 20s. We all did silly things in our 20s. Stop holding it against him. He is just an incredible artist. And he's someone I've been listening to practically my whole adult life. And we're quite close in age. So, you know, I've sort of followed his music grow up as I've grown up myself. Continuum, which I think is his greatest album, is from 2006. It's after the whole Daughters, Body is a Wonderland thing. Um, And his recent albums like... There's just so much good stuff there. And I, you know, I am (laughs) embarrassed to say (laughs) that it's John Mayer because people have this idea of him in their heads. But like he plays with Dead and Company, like former members of the Grateful Dead invited him to join them on their tour. He's had a jazz album. You know, he's an incredible musician. Give John Mayer a chance. (laughs) Our listeners never judged our guest picks on the Culture Club. You can be assured of that. Let's have a listen to John Mayer. This is Assassin. I work in the dead of night When the roads are quiet And no one's around To track my moves Racing the yellow lights To find the gate is open She's waiting in the room I just slip on And then you get gone You never leave a trace to show your face You get gone Should have turned around and left Before the sun came up again But the sun came up again adequately defended John Mayer there. Thank you. (laughs) Let's move on to the best gigs you're at. And I'm kind of thinking growing up in the 90s, there were so many great American artists coming to Ireland for the first time, so many classic English artists coming over. This is an unusual one, so I'm going to let you explain this choice. Okay, so this is not by any stretch of the imagination musically the best gig I was ever at. But in terms of you know, a once in a lifetime memorable situation. I had to go with this one. So back in the day, uh, 2007, 2008, I worked in Walt Disney World in Orlando and I'm also obsessed with all things NASA. So I had an annual pass to Kennedy Space Center. At this time, again, I feel like I'm talking about 100 years ago, Netflix was a company that sent out DVDs and I was a member. And one day I get this email saying, Bruce Willis and his blues band, news to me, he had a blues band, are going to do a free concert in the Rocket Garden at Kennedy Space Centre, which is exactly as it sounds, followed by an outdoor screening of Armageddon, which had been shot on location at Cape Canaveral. Um, First come, first served. So I was like, you know, this is the kind of thing where if you stayed in Cork, you would never get to do. <laughs> so we went and we were we were basically sitting in a kind of swampy field looking at actual space rockets, which are up on their ends. So they like stand tall in the garden. And he's on this little stage. There's probably a couple of hundred people there. I couldn't tell you one song they played. 
My memory is that his voice was not great, but we were all just there surrounded by space rockets at a working spaceport as the sun went down, thinking, that's Bruce Willis. We could have had Oasis, we could have had Prodigy at Parky Cueve, but she went for Bruce Willis, who was a comedian back in the day as well. But Bruce Willis and his blues band played Devil Woman Live. Let's have a listen. That is Bruce Willis and his blues band, which is Catherine Ryan Howard's gig, best gig she was ever at pick. You are somebody whose books are, they're flying off the shelves and some of them are very topical. The latest one is called Runtime, which is setting a little bit in Ireland. Yeah, so it was inspired by something my brother told me. He's um, an actor and a few years ago he was in a movie called Beyond the Woods, an Irish independent horror movie. And it was filmed in this like secluded house in the wilds of West Cork during the winter, mostly at night. And he told me that one of the things the production had to do was go to the local Garda station and say, if someone rings you in the middle of the night and says, I hear screams, someone's getting murdered. They're not. It's just us filming. But of course, as a crime writer, I thought, well, what if it was someone getting murdered and you're, you know, you're getting away with it using the cover of the movie? So Runtime is about a horror movie that's being filmed in West Cork. Um, And the entire script for the horror movie is inside the novel. And what happens in the script starts to happen on the set. So I hope people enjoy it. Also, it's set in freezing wet winter time and it's out during a heat wave. So... Well, let's actually let's get to your movie choice because this might bear some resemblance of a horror show because it is the Truman Show is, is your movie choice. What was about this movie that you liked? I absolutely love the Truman Show. Um, deeply, I think you know the thing about the Truman Show is that since it came out, we have kind of forgotten how groundbreaking it was. Like this came out before reality TV was even a term. It came out before Big Brother. It came out before we all had a broadcast device in our hands. You know, the idea of this man who's at the centre of a TV show, unaware. is like, I think the tagline is on air, unaware. Um, and I just love it. I love the way it's made because for the first third or maybe half of the movie, you're watching the show and then you only realise the machinery behind it. Uh, and the innocence the of Jim Carrey in it. Yeah, and like he was robbed. He should absolutely have gotten an Oscar for that performance. Like because he was a comedian, I don't think that or a comedic actor, I don't think he was given his dues for that performance. Like not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but the last scene in that movie is just such an incredible emotional performance. Um, So poor Jim. Let's get a reminder from the Truman Show. 
Truman. What are you doing here? It's a bad time, okay? I'm way behind. I'm onto something, Marlon. Something big. You okay? You look like shit. I think I'm mixed up in something. Mixed up in what? There's no point trying to explain it, but a lot of strange things have been happening. The people on the elevator, there was no, there was no backing on it. I, I looked out, there was people there, and the, the, on the radio, on the way to work, start to, like, follow me along, talking about everything that I'm doing. You know what I mean? Now, Truman, look, this is one of your fantasies. I, I think this is about my dad. Your dad? I think he's alive. Yeah. I'll tell you about it later. I'm definitely being followed. Who? It's hard to tell. They look just like regular people. I think we've gone from the Truman Show being the first of reality TV or an imitation of reality TV to Love Island is now being the, <laughs> the most popular. Let's move on a little bit to your favourite play. Yeah, so I was trying to think like what what have I enjoyed the most that I went to see um, in a theatre and honestly it's Alter Boys which is spelt with a Z and the O is a halo. So it was an off-Broadway musical that I happened to see in December 2006. Imagine the Backstreet Boys, but they're Christian. So even even the way they dress is like in that all-white, you know, from the Backstreet Boys era. Um, and it's just absolutely hilarious. It's supposed to be a concert that they're performing and they have to save 99 souls by the end of the concert. And what I love about it is that quite like the Book of Mormon, which I also love, it's not mean. Like it's not, it's not being mean to religion. It's just taking the sort of human aspect of it, you know, the church and its uh, machinations and sort of, you know, making comedy out of that. But what I also love is if you were only half listening, if you weren't really listening to the lyrics, you would absolutely think this is NSYNC or Backstreet Boys or, you know, some other American boy band. Like the music is actually really good. Uh, Unfortunately, it closed uh, a couple of years ago, but you can listen to the entire album, I believe, on the Internet. Yeah, let's have a little listen to this is Church Rules, which is a cast recording from Alter Boys. People don't go to church no more. They're scared. That is the Alter Boys. Yeah, with the Z. <laughs> Let's move on to your books. And I really want to go into your own career a little bit. And the book you've chosen is by one of the best known fiction authors out there, Michael Crichton, who is, of course, Jurassic Park and so much more. What was it about his works that did they influence you in your own writing? I'm absolutely obsessed with Jurassic Park, which I also feel I kind of have to explain. 
on the John Mayer line of things that like it's not just about dinosaurs. If you haven't read the novel of Jurassic Park, first of all, I'm jealous. And second of all, you're missing out. I first read it in 1993 when the movie came out. I still have my movie tie-in paperback, which is now just held together by Sellotape and Hope. And when I got my first book deal, one of the things I treated myself to was a first edition of uh, the hardcover. So if there was a fire, I'd grab those two things and go. Uh, when I read Jurassic Park and I reread it every year as a kind of ritual, I just could not believe that someone had taken blank pages and built that on them. Like, I, I'm still in awe of it now. It's such an incredible adventure and every detail, starting with the title, you know, it's such a ubiquitous thing in our culture. Again, I just feel like we don't appreciate how amazing Jurassic Park is. Like, the idea of this theme park with, you know, dinosaurs in it. And of course, since then, I worked in theme parks and so I have an even greater appreciation for how accurate everything was. But he just, once I read that book, I just thought, if this can be your job, I want it to be mine. <laughs> what well, is your job? But let's get a listen now to Jurassic Park from the audiobook. I don't know, she said, but that looks like a dinosaur to me. Stone shook his head. Impossible. Why? Alice Levin said. It could be a leftover or a remnant or whatever they call them. Stone continued to shake his head. Alice was uninformed. She was just a technician who worked in the bacteriology lab down the hall and she had an active imagination. Stone remembered the time when she thought she was being followed by one of the surgical orderlies. You know, Alice Levin said, if this is a dinosaur, Richard, it could be a big deal. It's not a dinosaur. Has anybody checked it? No, Stone said. Well, take it to the Museum of Natural History or something, Alice Levin said. You really should. <laughs> I'd be embarrassed. You want me to do it for you, she said. No. Richard Stone said, I don't. You're not going to do anything? Nothing at all. He put the baggie back in the freezer and slammed the door. It's not a dinosaur, it's a lizard. And whatever it is, it can wait until Dr. Simpson gets back from Borneo to identify it. That's final, Alice. This lizard's not going anywhere. That is from Jurassic Park. Catherine, who apart from Michael Crichton, would have been the authors you thought, wow, that's just a great read. I want to I want to be somebody like that when, I, when I'm older. Well, I think like many Irish crime writers of my generation, we all kind of went through the same like gateway drugs and then <laughs> the same authors. So like I absolutely would have started off with, you know, very innocently Nancy Drew and then uh, graduated to um, Point Horror and Christopher Pike and stuff like that. But I think... When I read Patricia Cornwell, which would have been back when I was about 12, I think a friend of mine, her brother had the paperbacks and she kind of snuck them out and, and lent them to me. And I was reading them like under the covers because I wasn't supposed to be reading something called post-mortem or, you know, the body farm or whatever they were called. Cornwell is also famous for its Kay Scarpeta, which is yeah. her forensic examiner who solves a lot of crime, but they are very grisly novels of They're incredibly killers, murderers. Incredibly grisly. And like thinking back now, what was, you know, what was I thinking? But actually, it was probably the first time I had read adult crime fiction. And it's funny that, like, there was a woman at the helm of it and quite an independent woman who, you know, was in a, a, a 
a place dominated by men and had this amazing job. And of course, then Silence of the Lambs, I probably discovered around that time as well, which also had this kind of, you know, strong woman working um, in these incredibly dark cases. So I think that's probably when I started on my path of, you know, I want to write crime fiction. And Michael Connolly is also a huge um, fave of mine. Like to me, his character, Harry Bosch, is a real person who I get to like check in with once a year. I, I've been reading him as well since I was a teenager. So I feel like, you know, I feel like he's a real person in my life. <laughs> Let's move on to your TV picks. When you were a child, what was the, the shows that were most on the TV in your household? I mean, I think the shows that were on my TV were the shows that were on everyone's TV because back then everyone was watching the same thing. And I suppose the 90s is when we got this idea from the States of must-see TV. So you have things like Eeyore and Friends and you would be glued to them like when they were on the actual television. You wouldn't be watching them later or anything. Um, And also I watched a huge number of made-for-TV true life movies about American crimes that I absolutely should not have been watching. (laughs) Let's move on to some of the things you watch these days. Tell us about them. Well, my favourite thing at the moment that just finished and I'm bereft is Blackbird, which was on um, Apple TV. And it tells the true story of essentially a kind of blue collar criminal who is put into this, um, you know, institution for... uh, prisoners with psychiatric problems to try and elicit a confession out of this serial killer. Not so much a confession, but the location of a body. They know, they absolutely know he did it. And it was incredible. It was written by Dennis Lehan, so no surprises that it was incredible. The cast, just the way, you know, the very disturbing subject matter was dealt with. Um, you know, I just thought it was fantastic. And I find myself more and more wanting things that go for six episodes and then stop (laughs) you know well let's actually let's get a listen to Blackbird and before we do just a warning with some of the language in this one so if you have young people around you you might just take care of this one let's have a listen to Blackbird we would like you to transfer to another prison and befriend someone to elicit a confession we need the precise location of a dead body You need. We suspect that the man that you'll read about in that file has killed 14 women, maybe more, but we only tied him to two, and we only have one of the bodies. We'd like to find the other one, and maybe 12 more. And this prison? Where are the guys? It's in Springfield, Missouri. Maximum security specializing in the criminally insane. So, you want me to check into hell, cozy up to a fucking demon, and ask him all casual, hey, so where'd you bury 13 bodies? Is that right? (laughs) Not for all the money in the world. freedom. Catherine Reinhardt, we just have time for your cultural buried treasure. Very briefly, tell us about it. It's James A. Castor's Repertoire, which is a four-part stand-up special on Netflix. I have watched it so many times, I'm expecting a sort of welfare check to say, why would a woman watch stand-up so often? But it's an incredibly complex and just ingenious routine, and I would highly recommend that everyone go watch it. 
Catherine Ryan Howard. Thank you very much for coming in. Your latest novel is Runtime. It's out now in the shops or on its way? Yes, it's out. It should be in the shops right now. Yeah. Perfect read for the end of the summer. Catherine Ryan Howard, thank you very much for coming in to the Culture Club this evening here on Today FM. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.